Welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where my guests and I discuss what pieces or parts of the conversation we aren't talking about, but should be. Special shouts out, special shouts out, special shout out to all my returning listeners and a high five and hello to anybody new joining us for the very first time. I appreciate you. Thank you. Wouldn't be doing the show without you. Today is April 15th uh, when you are hearing this episode. And it generally is my mid-month episode where I just talk to myself for whatever reason. And we just talk about what's going on in the month, what's got, what we have coming up here on the show. But today is a little bit different. And I'm really excited because I'm going to have my second interview of the month with my second author of the month. My guest today is said author and also a fellow Korean adoptee. Hannah Lee joins me on the show. Hannah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We are very excited to have you. I keep saying we, and I'm like, there's only one of you that does anything on the show, and it's myself. So (laughs) as we get to The Invisible Lines, the book, the second book that you have coming out, uh, for anybody who may not know you who is listening to the episode today, um, could you tell us a little about yourself? Yeah, I am a Korean adoptee, like Patrick said. Um, I am living in Kansas and uh, soon going to be calling Kansas City, Kansas home. But right now I live in Topeka. Um, I wrote a book. This is my second fiction adoptee kind of focus or centered book um, because I see adoption talked about a lot, like a (laughs) lot, a lot in films, TV shows, books, everything, but you don't really see it um, from the perspective of an adoptee. So I kind of wanted to jump on that and see if, if, uh, that was something people wanted, I guess. (laughs) I love it. And for people who might not know about your first book, the ones who misbehave, um, they can go get that on your website. They can go get that a lot of places. Can you talk about what brought you to, well, you talked about it a little bit. You haven't seen our stories told before, but when when did you decide like writing a book was the medium that you wanted to go to tell that story? Oh, because I don't have talents in like filmmaking. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I I did think I probably could write, and uh, you know, it takes it takes a lot to do that. But um, the first book, uh, my first book, the ones who misbehave, was so. Um, walking right alongside kind of what I was experiencing and the journey I was going on at that time of kind of losing my mind um, with everything happening during the pandemic and the Asian hate and just feeling this loneliness and wanting to connect and my mental health was so bad and just kind of seeing um, if if through writing, I could connect with other people who maybe felt the same way, because at at the time I was writing it, I had not met other adoptees. I had not become part of Mm. the Asian community and I was feeling just so isolated. Um, so yeah, I, I really just wanted to, to write something that I felt really was focusing on the experience of what someone like me might be going through during the same time. I love it. And I really enjoyed your first book and listeners of the show may also be listeners of the John Chi show where we had you on the first time. We talked about that. So definitely go check that out. I'll link that in the show notes. Um, 
I feel like you, I can call you a prolific author because you've had two books come out in pretty short span of time. When did the process for this second book start after you had completed the publishing of The Ones Who Misbehave and you'd kind of gone through that cycle of being now a published author? When did that start for you to go down the path of book two? Okay, so... My first book really focused on myself and my my journey of trying to find where I fit in the Asian community. And also during that time, uh, I'm a parent of a teenager. Um, my child came out as trans um, and identifies as non-binary. And so that was something like I was, um, I know everyone hates the term coming out of the fog. So I was experiencing coming out of the fog, the apocalypse. Sure world crashing down and also during that time dealing with um learning how to be an ally to my child who was um trying to teach me you know about their gender identity and um dealing with my family not really understanding uh what I was going through in my adoptee journey and my identity I was finding there and also at the same time not understanding the identity my child was also finding. Um, and, and so there were a lot of complications in my life during that time and conflicts um, between my family being so upset about the book I was writing, the things I was talking about, and then telling me, like, you know, we can't talk about your kid's gender identity and we can't work on that with you guys right now because we're trying too hard just to understand what you're doing, Hannah. Um, and so a lot of the uh, kind of controversial, very unsympathetic um, words that I use talking about my particular non-binary character in the book um, are words that my family said to me or words that... Mm. I grew up with hearing. Um, and so this second book was really kind of picking up um, the other side of, of what I was dealing with and how in my own life I had to distance myself from my family um, because we were so separated with our understanding and what we were wanting to work on and willing to work on with each other. Um, yeah, so that, so that's kind of the complicated, um, story, you know, one of the complicated storylines of my book I was trying to deal with. Sure. And I mean, that's a lot. And I really appreciate you sharing that because, you know, as adoptees, obviously it's a, a lot to talk about just going through that own journey on our own. Um, but not only that to simultaneously be going on this journey as a parent, to a child who comes out as trans and non-binary and wanting to understand that and be supportive, like you said. And I feel like I can feel those things, those storylines that are happening in your life translating through the book. Um, now that I've heard you kind of explain what it was you were going through. And that was one of the things that I was wondering about was like, what was influencing certain characters, certain aspects of, of the storylines? Like, what part of your life were, were, were characters based on specific people or things like that? And I guess before we get to that question, um, can you give us a non-spoilerly synopsis of The Invisible Lines? Um, sure, yeah. Um, the Invisible Lines is about um, an adoptee named Lilith 
um, her adoptee story, because as I'm as I'm learning um, from other adoptees along this journey, I'm finding out how many different stories we have and mm. how some of them are downright bizarre and some of them are just wrong, just just so wrong. Like, um, especially when children are older and adopted. Um, uh, and also some of the stuff that's been going on in the media where you're seeing these celebrities and famous mm. people be able to completely not go through the same process as other people have and, and get these privileges and these, you know, means of obtaining children for whatever reason they want. And it, and it's so damaging. And so, um, yeah, so I wanted to, sorry, back to the synopsis. <laughs> so Lilith is an adoptee, um, who was kind of obtained by, um, a wealthy, you know, generationally wealthy family, um, who's very powerful, very well known, um, influencing and famous and how that kind of corruption always has secrets. So it's just really about, um, a family trip and an adoptee struggling with, with this family she's been brought up in but never treated as part of and then seeing the way things go when people um of color through the story or people from marginalized groups um go missing and how that's dealt with with the law enforcement how it's dealt with with the family um and how it's it's pretty much dependent on the staff and people who care about those particular individuals and groups to, uh, to solve the mystery, I guess. Yeah. I like the multiple perspectives that you take with the book. Um, I appreciate that we're able to see a lot of different events through the eyes of different characters throughout. And I thought what was interesting about Lilith's story in particular is that you have kind of that adoption conversation up front. But I feel like it's not really the driving or motivating factor for her story in particular. Like it is a detail of her story, but it's not like the end all be all like thing that I guess you would think maybe happens in an adoptee storyline to begin with. Like that's the whole issue of the story. But the plot has very little to do with her being quote unquote adopted, not to give away plots of the book, but uh, more so to literally has to do with like what is happening, the dynamics of this family. I think that's really interesting and I thought was really well done. Um, speaking of those multiple perspe perspectives and going back to those influences for these types of characters, I think you do a good job of capturing the different archetypes. And I was wondering kind of what was influencing those character traits as you were developing each of the characters throughout the process. Sure. Yeah. You know, honestly, um, a lot of things that I do cause me to meet a lot of different people or put me in weird situations. So um, a lot of the context of the characters does come from people uh, I have in my life, people I've met in my life and, and had experiences with, as well as just people, you know, that I admire. So yeah, a lot of my characters are built on, you know, strong personality traits or, or traits I admire of, of the people around me, um, as well as you can see the negative too, is very sure. influenced by um, people in my life. I wouldn't say any character is representative of any particular person, but I definitely 
take parts of people and right. uh, and try to have them reflected in some of my characters. Yeah. Can you talk about <clears throat> the... I don't want to label it, so I guess I'll just say the process of taking those real-life experiences and then putting them into this fictional story that you're telling. Because... Like, even when I'm, like, creating a, a piece of content about adoption, specifically about my experience, I'm like, and I'm listening to it back as I'm editing, I'm like, man, this is a lot sometimes. And I'm like, should I even be talking about this or should I be sharing this? And, you know, it's just something that I can get hung up on. And mm-hmm. as an author, not only are you, I guess, does it feel like you have a shield because it's fiction in, in a way that allows you to kind of weave these things in here or how does that affect you as you tell take some of these real life experiences and put them into these characters and into these storylines as you're going through the process rereading revisiting revising and thinking about these things how does that how, does that affect you and how does that affect you if it does sure yeah that that's a great question um i feel like <sighs> Okay, so let's say, for example, um, Nicole Chung's new book that came out, and it's a memoir. And, you know, everyone who's reading it, you you feel so connected because it's a memoir, because it's from this person. But, but as she says in her latest book, I hope everyone's read it or going to read it, um, it's hard when it is actually real people and you're telling their life story from your point of view. And so I think honestly, especially with my first book, because it really was very personal, uh, I did kind of shield myself and hide behind the fiction narrative uh, so that I had some sort of buffer with my family, the people in my life that, that those situations actually occurred uh, you know, some of those occurred with me. Um, I wanted there to be a, a separation of this was, this is real and this is not real. Uh, okay. and even though my stories do walk right alongside what I'm going through, I, I do feel like maybe I do use that as kind of, um, a wall or a shield to, to distance myself from that. Um, and honestly, after Nicole's book, it's cowardly, you know, like I, I was, I was reading Nicole's book or listening to it on audiobook and just thinking you're, you're, you're like, and this is terrible to say, but you know, I did, I felt like you are such a coward that you can't just come out and say, these are my story. This is my story, you know, because it, it is hard. And so people who are putting memoirs out, and this is the real story. And like you said, you writing content too, and being like, should I be saying this? When it's you yourself, it's, it, it's an accountability factor. Sure. And I think that in my own way, I, I felt that and kind of did that on purpose to have that distance. Um, and, and the, the more I'm growing in this, I think about that and I'm like, that maybe that's a good thing and maybe that should change, you know, but, it, but it's something I think about. Yeah. Sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. I will say, I don't think, well, I think it's valid if you feel like cowardice is some, is a, is an emotion or a feeling that it is elicited, especially after reading Nicole's book, but I don't think that it's cowardly to utilize fiction in order to tell your story, because I do think there's 
everyone has a different threshold of safety that they are able to share. And for some people, some people will broach that and share everything regardless of the consequences um, because maybe they have extra safety nets, whether it be monetary or support systems, whatever the case might be. Um, And some people don't have those things, you know, and some people can find themselves on an island. And, you know, if you were to write this as a memoir, as opposed to a fictional narrative, like maybe that's not safe for you. So, or even, even from like a, a physical geographical sense, but like a mental health standpoint, like mm-hmm. maybe it's not safe for your own mental health to like really lean into it yet. Like you have to, in order to tell your story, you need to tell it through these other characters. And I think that was, I think it's really, really evident, not only in this story, but especially in your first book. And you talked about how that, how that first book was a little bit more personal because it was more in line, I guess, with kind of your specific experience. But do you did you feel like because of that reaction you had to do that for the second book? Uh, um, like when it comes to like the shield or whatever the cover might have been, you know, did you feel like that was something you had to do based on that? Or was it like, did you feel like you were already moving in that direction regardless? I feel like I just started writing it as a as a fiction book because um honestly when you write a book there's like all these different things you have to know and to write and get things formatted I knew fiction I knew like the general idea of how to do that but um with a memoir I would have had to like research like what does this page look like and what's the formatting like you know on the inside What what should the technique be for writing a memoir um and And so I just, you know, like I said, I just started writing just because like, I have like a million writing pieces started, but then I find one I kind of go with. Um, Oh, my God, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just asked, like, did you feel like you, based on the reaction to your first book, The Ones Who Misbehave, did you feel like you had to like put the shield up a little bit more um, when it came to writing the second book or like telling the story in that way? Or were you already heading in that direction of just like, this is how I want to tell my own story is through the lie through this, this other type of narrative, because I will say that because I asked the question, because I think it's important that we have narratives like this in our lexicon of information and, and, and available media, because I like, yes, it's great that we have all these memoirs. That's right. awesome. But I think even with bestsellers, fewer people are going to read your memoir as opposed to like a this is us scenario where like the whole show delves around this thing and that's fiction but it deals in this real life reality of like i'm a transracial adoptee and this is what i go through um you know so i think like i think it's important that we have books like yours to tell that story and i that's why i think i pushed back only a little bit when you said it was cowardice because i think it's like i think it's still important like you're still telling your story um regardless if you feel like you have to put a shield up or not but i guess i was just asking the question based on like you know you talked about i felt like the shield was going up more in as you were writing the second book and i didn't know if that was based on just the experience you had of writing that first book because i think too the stories are pretty wildly different. Even the structure of the book, I think, is 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 pretty different. It's a departure from the ones who misbehave. And that's one of the things I really liked about it. Is like it wasn't just a sequel or a rehash of what you'd done before, but it was something completely different. 
Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, honestly, too, like, I really, um, I really w- want to see my books become movies or, uh, or, you know, like a series, um, because I just feel like everywhere you look in movies and, and TV shows and novels dating back to boxcar children that started mm. in the seventies and, yep. you know, all these stories are written about these poor orphans who get saved and these families that take on these little orphan children, like an Annie and, you know, I mean, I could go into a, a list. Look at the Marvel movies. I mean, come right. on, just tons of of these stories. But are these characters getting played by adoptees? And as you've said before on several of your social media posts, are adoptees the ones that you are coming to to mm. talk about? the reality of these narratives before you're just putting them out there because we're not represented accurately. Sure. People are getting closer, but still not. And it's always still a matter of, um, saviorism. And, you know, it's always about a happy ending and adoption is that happy ending all the time. And so, you know, I really, I really, kind of wrote my books with the hope that um at some point this would become the norm this wouldn't sure. you know uh and maybe see an adoptee focused narrative written by an adoptee and see how it's very different than the ones that you're seeing in normal media yeah i like that and see i think that's a great answer and i think that's a great reason to want to do it because you know this fictional narrative has a has legs to be able to pick up and be a TV show or something. Like I, when I was reading it, I was like, okay, I can picture this like as a Netflix limited series, like this story. Like I can see this playing out where <laughs> all of the breaks are and see how like the next episode starts and where the cliffhangers might be. And I feel like we live in a world of adaptation. Like it's, we want to, we don't necessarily always want to come up with our own original IP. We want to adapt something else. And when it comes to getting our stories told, like we have to recognize that reality sometimes because there aren't necessarily a bunch of media production companies out there who are like, yes, let's take your story and let's do it exactly the way you want to. Like we have to like bend and, 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 and mold and shape our things to fit the stuff that they want to tell. And that keeps us away from wanting to pursue stuff like that. So we write memoirs because it's hard to like tell that story incorrectly without having that author be there and be like the driving force behind the adaptation. Well, like a fictional thing they can like potentially do that where it's like, we can, we can change it because you know, this isn't based on any reality. So it's like, how do we get to the point of, like you said, accurate representation from Mm -hmm. our stories? How do we know, how do we get to the point where we are the ones telling our own stories? And I think, um, uh, the group BIPOC adoptees, I think they're based out of Washington, uh, mm-hmm. led by Liana, I believe is her name. I cannot think of her last name right now. I apologize, but I think they're doing something similar to that. Um, telling stories, not nece- in a multimedia way. And at the end of the day, that's like, that's one of the things that we need. We need to find people who can kind of cut the middle out, fund these projects and help us tell those types of stories. And unfortunately we have to do it ourselves. Like that's, 
just the 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 situation that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're releasing this episode on four fifteen. When mm-hmm. is your perspective release date for this book? I'm hoping May first. May first. Okay. Perfect. I'm hoping. Hoping, but. There, it might. It's it's, it's as changeable. We about it's, before we started recording, I'm still <laughs> struggling to get it together. Hey, uh, that's all right. That's all right. I'm not an unpublished author, so I don't know the process. <laughs> oh my god! Well, one of them is to make sure you're. <laughs> <laughs> your uh correct title is on pages of the book <laughs> <laughs> okay well to to that then like what as somebody who just like kind of took this on yourself i feel like to just say i'm writing this and i don't give a f who says not to write it like i'm gonna write it and i'm gonna put it out and i'm gonna publish it and we'll go from there and you're now on book two pursuing that what advice would you have for people like myself who are like, man, I want to write a book sometime. Like what, what advice would you give to a person who wants to take that on themselves as well? Whether it be memoir, whether it be fiction, whatever the case might be. I would say if I can do it. And I mean, I, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm kind of all over the place. I'm a little bit messy. Um, if I can do it and figure it out simply by either asking for help from other people who have done it or just simply Googling <laughs> the answer, <laughs> um, anyone can do it. And if you want to self-publish, um, it's so easy. There are lots of outlets. I particularly use Amazon and Barnes & Noble online for their mm-hmm. publishing and printing because it's so easy and and it just the instructions on how to actually publish your own manuscript and everything is super simple um it gives step-by-step instructions it's it's pretty easy because i can i can manage to get it done and i think anybody who wants to definitely should and i honestly feel like what everyone should do, though, is bombard all the publishing companies mm. with your query letters to try to get representation for these stories, because right now the self-publishing is what has to be done because our stories are seen as so marginalized that these companies feel like they're not worth producing because they don't think it would reach a, a broad enough mm. um spectrum of people to make money and be profitable for these companies and i think that is such bs because these should be you know known stories these should be promoted and talked about more if you want to tell so many stories about adoption about happy adoptees about families saving children then there needs to be an equal influx of adopt parent narratives and adoptee narratives out there and they seem to be willing to always promote one side well i mean you bring up a great point is because like they talk about reach as being one of the reasons you know there are going to be more prospective adoptive parents out there than there are going to be kids who want to be adopted (laughs) or kids that were adopted honestly at the end of the day there are going to be more of those people a bigger audience for them than there are going to be for people who are literally just go, who have been adopted and like therein lies the issue. And the reason why we have to fund stories like these, because these stories should reach all of that other group as well. Like if we don't write these stories just for us, you know, maybe we do, I guess I won't say that we don't, I won't be, I won't speak for the entire community, but I don't think at the end of the day that our stories should only limit to the same community that we come from. 
Like, yes, I think adoptees will super resonate with the invisible lines and with the ones who misbehave. Like, I think adoptees will super resonate with Nicole Chung's uh, A Living Remedy or All You Can Ever Know. Um, however, like, we also need, and we need to make sure that those stories are reaching the eyes and ears and minds of people who are not adopted. Because we need that resonance to, to, we need those things to resonate with them. So that way we can actually come about and have enough stories that equal to the amount of adoptive parent or adoptive agency or whatever the case might be. So that way we can actually even that out because without their support, purely from a statistical standpoint, from a numbers standpoint, we'll never be able to do that because there are quite simply more of them than there are of us. And there always have been and there will be. Um, just based on where it seems like international adoption trend or numbers are going and the way that those systems seems to be uh, being taken a look at. So, you know, I think you bring up excellent points. Like we have to be able to like, that's what equity is, is like making sure that we all have and not an equal share, but we are all like being addressed in the ways that we need to. And some of us are more marginalized than others. And so those groups need to equity is to make sure that we are providing the correct amount of resources to that marginalized group so that they are validated and supported and seen. And that means straight white men, sorry, you're not going to get as many supports. You don't get as much because you already feel that way and you have forever. So yours is very small, but that's, still equitable because we have to go over here and we'll, we want to get to the same line. And at the end of the day, we don't break the line. Who cares what the line is? Like we just want to exist as people and tell our stories and have them be heard and supported because it is necessary. So that's what happens here on the show. Sometimes we get hot. I get popping and <laughs> I, like, you I get passionate like, about stuff. I'm like, I'm going to be quiet because I'm getting <laughs> all good. Um, you know, how can we, support you in in purchasing the book like you said it's hopefully coming out on may 1st or in sometime in may soon how can we get it how do we where do we go to to purchase sure yeah right now i have um my book my new book and uh the ones who misbehave uh, on sale on my website which is the hannahleewrites.com um and then Soon after my release date <laughs> um it should be available on amazon and barnes and noble Okay. Yep. Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Go to thehannahleewrites.com. You can go to there in the show notes to pre-order a copy. I know I've, as I've learned over the last few years, pre-orders are super important um, for numbers and monetization and all of those, all of those things that help support Hannah do what she does as an author. And so, if you can, if you're able, if you have the capacity, please go and pre-order a copy. If not, you'll see that come out on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and you can get one there. Um, and that's still great. Leave a review too, right? Reviews are also good. Reviews um, are great. Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, Goodreads. Where else? Where 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 can we leave reviews at? Yeah, sure. Goodreads. Um, and then Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Any place is good. Any place is good. Even even just put you know talking about me on your story, letting me share that. That's great. <laughs> that's that's amazing. You know. Absolutely. Okay. So well, in that, in that vein, then where, how do we, how do, who, who, what's the handle? How do we tag you? How do people uh, make sure that they are supporting you on the social media apps as well? Sure. Yeah. I'm on, um, Instagram primarily the Hannah Lee. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. I don't know what my name is on there. <laughs> sorry. And I quit Twitter cause of, uh, you know, right. Absolutely. Drama. Drama. <laughs> all right. Well, we will have all of that in the show notes as well. 
Hannah, before I let you go, just one last question. I know we got the book coming out. We had the book already out. Um, any other ways that we can support you right now as we move through the rest of 2023 and beyond? Um, honestly, supporting other adoptees such as Patrick, uh, Janty Show, um, uh, Adopting Wellness, what's, what's some other adoptee? There's tons of adoptee podcasts. There's tons of adoptees doing work. And the best way to support me is by supporting them because chances are I'm going to be in communication with some of them. Uh, we all should be listening to each other's stories. Um, we're all one community. That's how, that's how to support me. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Hannah, as always, it is a pleasure to sit and have a conversation with you. And it's a huge privilege for you to give me the time. Give me a copy of the book to read. Uh, again, the invisible lines coming out very soon in may go to the Hannah and pre-order your copy. Hannah, it's again, a privilege and an honor to be able to sit here and have this conversation with you. Um, if you want to, again, follow her, check out all of those links. You'll see all of those things in the show notes. You can also find us at conversation pod piece on Instagram. If you want to follow us as well, I have no posts yet, but those posts are coming. I promise. Um, if you do feel inclined to leave a rating or a review for this show, that would be greatly appreciated as well. And if you're interested if you're interested in supporting the show in the future in any other way, feel free to hop in my DMs or visit my website, patrickintheworld.me. Hannah, until next time, uh, thank you so much. Got to have you back on the show once the book comes out. We can talk a little bit about how the release is going. How does that sound? All right. Sounds perfect. Yes. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> and for all of our audience out there, until next time, I am Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Piece. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you.